Well, good morning. A gathering of heavenly citizens right here in the room. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, it's great. Uh, it's good to be back with you. Just a couple of footnotes here as we get started this morning. Number one, several people asked last week, so like, what do you do uh, if you're here every Sunday and you're preaching? Well, I, I don't preach at a church. I'm not a pastor anymore. But for 14 years, I was a Christian Missionary Alliance pastor. I currently serve as the campus chaplain and vice president at Crown College. Any crown, Crownies here? Anybody? Any kids that go, one? Did you go to Crown? He did. St. Paul, Paul Bible College back in the day. Okay, very good. So uh, that's what I do for my day job. That allows me to be available on Sundays. So here I am. Uh, secondly, just as a, a way of just informing you, that today at noon is my son's high school graduation open house. So, so thank you for getting me out of having to set up for that event. <laughs> but, so I will, just so you know, after the service, I will be kind of heading out pretty quickly because my wife said, what time are you going to be there? I said, late, is what I said. So uh, just so you know, that's, I'm not leaving because of any other reason other than just to, to attend my own son's high school graduation open house. So that's what's going on. Last week, in our time together, we looked at Philippians chapter 3, a passage that seems to be forgotten maybe in the rhetoric, the Christian rhetoric of our day, with all of the turmoil and hardship of our day, all of the messages that seem to be uh, uh, communicated over the wire, because of all of that, we sometimes forget that the call of the Christian is to live up to our heavenly citizenship. And as such, we are called, we are placed, we are here on purpose by God's design to be ambassadors to our region. And we talked about that last week. Today what I want to do is talk about how, okay, so that, if that's a reality, what does that mean for us? How do we live our heavenly citizenship in our earthly existence? So that's where we're going today. Let's pray and then we'll get into the Word. Father, it is our deepest delight and joy to be able to come to you, our good, good Father. We do not take it lightly that as we speak, the creator of the universe listens. And Lord, you are great. And would you allow us now, as we look into your word, to size up our issues, our life, against your immensity, your greatness. And may we be heavenly citizens who walk in keeping with our citizenship. So show us some of what that may be like for us today. And then God, there may be those here today whose hearts are heavy for a variety of reasons. And there is a burden to their existence today. Would you speak a special word to them? a word of encouragement and hope. And may they lean in toward you today. 
and find your peace. Grant us this, we pray, according to your favor and your pleasure. In your name, amen. Well, there are some circumstances in life that seem to siphon peace right out of our lives. I experienced this a couple years ago. I was... I got up early on a Saturday morning to take a morning jog. Near our house was the Loose Line Trail, beautiful path that used to be a railroad and uh, now had been cleared out so that people could bike and travel along there. And it was beautiful uh, morning on Saturday. There is on the trail this canopy of trees that cover. And so there I was. I had my blue sweatsuit on. I was ready to go. I had my sermon in the ears and my hat on, and I was trucking down the trail. And just off to the left of the trail, across the field, there is a shooting range. And occasionally, as I'm jogging there, I can hear people shooting. Well, that's not unusual. But on this particular day, as I'm moving along the trail, the shots seem particularly close. It was like I could almost hear the bullets whizzing by. Alarmed, I stopped mid-jog, and I look around and wondering what is happening. Seeing nothing, I decide to continue in my jog, and oh, miles, I might have been 25, 30 miles, okay, two or three miles into my jog, and again, there was this other shot, whisper, bullets screaming by. And I stop. And as I looked around, these two people come out of the woods holding their guns. And as they come out of the woods, they look at me and they said, What are you doing here? It's deer hunting season, begins today. You need to get off the trail. And I said, you don't understand. Your bullets can't catch me. I didn't say that. (laughs) And I thought, well, I'm just glad that when I heard those bullets firing, I didn't stop and just freeze. (laughs) But as soon as you hear the bullets, it's joy and peace just swoosh. And I, of course, ran quickly off of that path, and not to return on that particular day, obviously. But you have days like that. It's not just a day on the trail, but you have days like that. Days when the danger of life seems to be closing in on you, and you think to yourself, where is the peace that God promises Because as everything squeezes in life, joy and peace just siphon right out. You have days like that? Most people have days like that. The Apostle Paul writes about our heavenly citizenship in the book of Philippians. So if you have your Bibles, fan over or tap over to Philippians chapter 3. The book of Philippians chapter 3 closes with our verses from last week that we are citizen, our citizenship is in heaven. 
And we wait for a Savior to come from there. And sometimes because of the chapter changes, we think that the topic changes. And I want to propose to you that that's not the case. That when Paul raises the topic of our heavenly citizenship, it, it jogs in his mind some issues that he wants to talk to the Philippian church about. Oh, if we are citizens of heaven, then how should we then live? So chapter 4 opens with a, therefore, my brothers. <laughs> therefore, since our citizenship is in heaven, let me now articulate some things important to you about living out that citizenship. If you go to verse 2 and 3, you see that there is some disturbance in the church. That there are a couple ladies, it seems, that are causing a disruption to the church. The unity is being fractured because of this disagreement between the two ladies. And I want you to imagine the scenario as the Apostle Paul's in jail in Rome. He writes to the Philippians as he says, your citizenship is in heaven. He goes, oh, wait a minute. Though it is true that you have a citizenship in heaven, some of you are not living up to your noble citizenship. And so he writes their names in the book, in this letter that is sent to the church at Philippi. Imagine sitting, the gathering of the heavenly citizens, as the letter is brought before the congregation and it is read, and as it is being read, you hear your name. And no doubt everybody in the congregation now was alert as they heard the names of two ladies in the congregation in this case, Iodia and Syntyche. And then Paul says there is a prescription for peace in God's church. There is a pathway for the citizens of heaven to know a heavenly peace. And in staccato statements, one kind of after the other, punching one after the other, Paul now outlines what it looks like to have a heavenly peace. Now in the church of Philippi, they would know something about peace. They lived under the Pax Romana. I told you last week that in Philippi, there were retired military personnel that were moved to the city of Philippi in order to demonstrate what loyalty to Rome looks like. No doubt in the midst of the congregation, there were retired personnel from the military who would say, hey, this is what it's like to keep the peace in a city. But they had no answer for the peace within the church. They had no answer for the peace within the soul of the individual. That is reserved for the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now look at verse 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. It's not the first time in the book of Philippians that Paul's talked about rejoicing. He actually says in chapter 1, verse 18, that he says, I rejoice. In chapter 3, he says, I urge you to rejoice. In chapter 4, he just makes it an imperative. Rejoice. I command you to rejoice. 
It's a great word, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. It's a great word. It comes from the word charis. It's a cognate of that word. Charis is the word from which we get things like charisma, charismatic. It means grace. It's sometimes translated grace. It means this. It literally, the, the old idea of the word was literally to lean forward to receive a gift. See that motion? You lean forward to receive a gift. In leaning forward to receive the gift, there is joy. You receive something, right? What is Paul saying? While there may be internal strife in the church, while there may be persecution on the outside of the church, people of God, citizens of heaven, lean into God in your moment. Lean in. Rejoice. Lean in to what God has for you. And he says it twice, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. It's not a typo. Paul is saying it twice to emphasize the need for rejoicing in the life of the believer. Notice that Paul does not say, go to church. I will say it again, go to church. He doesn't say that. He does not say, listen to KTIS. I will say it again, listen to KTIS. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say become a worship arts major. He doesn't say join the worship team. He says it should be the posture of God's people to always rejoice, lean into God, even though there's conflict and pushback. If you look at the word rejoice, you realize the word means to rejoy. Think about that. Maybe joy has gotten off the tracks. And Paul says, put joy back in the middle. Re-joy yourselves. Always in the Lord. Re-joy yourselves. Take delight again in God. I like how one theologian in the last centuries put it in regards to this verse. He said, rejoicing, in spite of circumstances, whatever is going on, rejoicing is a defiant nevertheless. Hmm. When the entire world is poking its bony finger in your chest and knocking you back and knocking you back, you stand as a defiant nevertheless and choose to rejoice yourself in God. You say to me, you know, that sounds really good, but you don't know how dark my situation is. You don't know. You're just a guest here, Bill. You don't know my situation, my circumstances, my trials, my heart. You don't know. I take great comfort in this, that the person penning the words is in the slammer in Rome. Paul is not lounging at the hot tub, sipping on an espresso from Oiko's Cafe. He is confined 
on house arrest, chained to a Roman soldier, while his detractors are free and preaching ill against him while they preach the gospel of Jesus. Read chapter 1. And yet Paul can say that fear will not dominate my life. I choose to stand as a defiant, nevertheless, in spite of my circumstances. I will rejoice in the Lord. Do you know people like that? I met George Palmer 20 years ago. I was the young pastor at a church, and the church members kept mentioning this name. You need to know George Palmer. You need to meet George Palmer. You need to go see George Palmer. I said, who's George Palmer? He said, well, George was an elder in the church for many years, but he's been immobilized and and, uh, confined to his living room. So I went over one day and saw George and his wife Mary, knocked on their old home, probably from the 1920s, opened the door. It was musty in this small little hallway on the side of the house. Books and items lined the hallway. You could hardly get through there. It was dusty and it was dark. I came around the corner to see a hospital bed and they'd kept all the curtains shut in the room. And there was George sitting on the edge of his bed, legs dangling over. I introduced myself, we talked. Interesting, think about this. George, who is confined to a bed in his living room, was reading a book on how to do evangelism. He had a stack of books on the side of his bed. And so I made a habit of going over and visiting with George. His enthusiasm for life was contagious. He, had, he told me at one point that he had completed Dale Carnegie's course on how to win friends and influence people, and he certainly convinced me. One day I got a call from the family saying that George was taken to the hospital, and so I went over and I sat, it was just me and George in the hospital room, and George began to tell me about his life and the many providences of God in his journey. And it was so profound what he was saying so authentic that I actually took out a notebook and began to write down things that George was saying. A day and a half later, George went to meet Jesus. And I was able to stand in front of this family and tell them this very truth. That in all my encounters with George, I never once saw the man stand. And yet... I saw him stand for God many times. Do you understand what I'm saying? George lived a defiant nevertheless in his life. He was rejoicing in the Lord always. See, joy is not found in circumstances. You know how I know that? Because of these two statements. Number one, too many people are joyous in adversity to conclude that joy is in circumstances. Secondly, too many people are miserable in prosperity to conclude that joy is in circumstances. We are to find joy in this fact alone 
in the Lord, in our relationship with God. See, rejoicing is an invitation of God's immensity to our lives. For the reality is we all have extenuating circumstances. We all know trial. We all know sorrow. We, know, we all know the confusion of what to do next or indecision or brokenheartedness or the pain of a biting word from a friend. We know fiscal acts and breakdowns and car accidents and root canals. and See, all of these things are inescapable and they claw at our peace and our joy. But we are citizens of heaven. We are the ones who get to spend eternity in heaven. We are the ones who can say, God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. God, re-joy me. Now, let me just make an aside here. Do not confuse joy with the expression of joy. Do we have any ameners here? Do we have others? <laughs> it's always funny, right? You say, do you have ameners? Amen, amen, I'm there, I'm there. Do we have others? Right? Don't confuse those. Don't confuse the joy that is ours in Christ with an exuberant expression. Joy does not look the same in every person. So, rejoice in the Lord always. Now, notice the next line in the verse. Verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. Here's how I think of it. Rejoicing is upward. We rejoice in the Lord, but our gentleness is outward. Listen, when we have the opportunity to rejoice in the Lord and we bring His magnificence to our lives. It calms our fears. It quiets all of the inward storms. And what results is gentleness outwardly. So let your gentleness be evident to all. That's a heavenly citizenship attribute. Gentleness. It's actually the, one of the words that Jesus used to describe himself, that he is gentle, humble. Look it up in Matthew chapter 11. Gentleness. That's a good description for some people, isn't it? And after we rejoice and we invite God's immensity to our lives and he calms the storms, then outwardly we're gentle to people. We're tender. We're kind. We're gracious. Now, all of that is possible because of the next line. Now, verse 6, everyone knows. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, in prayer. We all know that verse. And so many times I ask people, hey, you know that verse. Yes, I know that verse. That's an important verse for your life today. Yes, it is a very important verse for my life today. What's the statement right before that verse? Uh, I can't think of it. Here's the centerpiece of the whole passage. Rejoice in the Lord always. Be gentle to every, everyone. Here it is. The Lord is near. 
See, we don't have to be demanding or belligerent or impatient. We don't need to be overcome by life's trials as if we are alone in this world because the Lord is near. It's a resting in its simplicity. It is two Greek words, Lord, near, and yet profound in its impact. It begs the question, where is your God? No, really. Is our God merely up in heaven, aloof, distant, uninvolved? Or is God in the past at some camp experience or some other profound spiritual moment. Is that where is God back there in the past? Or maybe God is in the future. He has yet to come. And we're waiting for the prophetic fulfillment of Jesus' return. Maybe God is in our future. No. Citizen of heaven. No. The Lord is near. Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Ever-present help in trouble. Here's what that means. Think with me now. If God is ever-present, it means He never arrives late. Let me go a step further, just so we can think about it. God never arrives. Right? God doesn't arrive anywhere. He's already there. God never travels. You can't throw a surprise party for God. You can't sneak up on God. No trial or hardship in your life sneaks up on God. You can't outrun God, and He's not a very fun partner to play hide-and-seek with. While there is truly, in the Scriptures, representational meaning in locations and in spiritual memories or in beauty in locations, Every place is an altar before God Almighty because the Lord is near. Therefore, rejoice always. Everywhere you go, you can say, I can rejoice. Because right here is an altar with God because God is here. How would work and life and perspective and emotional state be different if we were convinced that in every minute of our day, we were in the presence of God? This, my friends, is the great secret of an anxiety-free, peace-filled life. Weigh all of our anxieties against this simple fact that God is present. So when you think of His nearness, no wonder, Paul says, rejoice and be gentle, heavenly citizens. Now verse 6. This is familiar territory for us. Do not be anxious about anything, 
But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. This isn't complicated in many ways. Paul says when you have moments of anxiety that start to creep in, when you feel the gunshots crisscrossing past you and you are caught in the crossfire and joy starts to siphon out of your life, when that moment happens, do not be anxious, but pray. See, anxiety and worry leaves God out of the equation. Rejoicing puts God back in the equation of our lives. So this, the formula is rather simple. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. Worry about nothing. Pray about everything. Gateway Church, you're going through a transition. There are moments of unknown that are part of your future. I get it. But can you not, with me, as I am with you, simply say, when those anxieties and certainties and confusion and questions arise, we will worry about nothing and pray about everything. And that prayer should be clothed in thanksgiving, not for the circumstances, but in those circumstances. And now watch verse 7. And, that's connecting, he's connecting the ideas now. These ideas are flowing one after the other. Rejoice. Well, if I'm rejoicing, there's gentleness. Why? Because God is near. And if God is near, I don't need to be anxious. I can pray. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When Paul says the word peace, that's an electric word in the community with their retired military personnel seated in the congregation. They know about peace. They know about guarding. They know what it means to garrison themselves, to armor themselves in silver in order to protect themselves from these uh, arrows that are coming at them. They know about that. This is their language. And so Paul says, listen... When you do the above, rejoicing and gentleness, and when you're not anxious and you pray, there is a peace of God which transcends understanding. Ho, 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 wait a minute. You understand what he's saying there, right? Because what causes anxiety is my lack of understanding. That's what gets me in trouble. That's what claims my peace. Now what, God? That's my question. Now what? Now that I got an F on an exam. Now what do I do next? Now what? Now that I have this disease. Now what? Now that school is ending and the summer is coming. Now what? Now that it's time for me to retire. I don't have understanding for this. And God says, you don't have to understand it. Because there is a peace that supersedes your lack of understanding. So instead of worrying about it, receive the peace. And that peace will guard your hearts and your minds 
in Christ. In relationship to Christ, there will be a barrier, a guard around you, a shield. Now, let me just make one more comment before we close. This verse does not promise an answer to our prayers. Because I think sometimes we read the verse this way. Don't be anxious. Pray. God will answer your prayers the way you want Him to answer your prayers, and then you'll have peace. Not what it says. It says, in giving up our prayers, we exchange those for peace. Not God's answer, for peace. He may answer, and He would delight to do so. But that's not the promise of the verse. The promise is, when we give up the, pee, or the, the problems and the issues, He exchanges them for peace. I mentioned earlier that I work at a college, and at Crown, we have chapel several days of the week where everyone gathers for worship. And these days, students carry around big backpacks full of books. It's amazing to watch these uh, diminutive female nursing students who have backpacks that are, you know, five feet out the back, you know, that they're walking down the hall carrying these backpacks. And as they come to chapel, they don't want to carry those into the worship experience, and so they just take off the backpack, boom, lay it down on the ground, and then they go in, and they have an experience with God, at which point they come back out, reach down, and you can, you can see these you know, people doing this, right? It's this big swing of the backpack around, and then they hope to snag it with the other arm. And that's how it works in those settings. So let's just slow down for a moment as a congregation today. Here, citizens of heaven. I invite you to bring your backpack, whatever's stuffed inside that backpack, whatever weight and burden, and it may be nursing books that are the burden, but whatever it is, can you lay it down as you step into rejoicing in the Lord always? And then the challenge of laying all of the burden down is if you're like me, I lay my backpack down at God's feet, I exit the throne room, and just as I'm leaving, I reach back and grab the backpack. Not today. Not today. Today. Let's lay the backpacks down and worship Him. And let's leave the backpack of all the burdens, whatever they are, I would encourage, name the, name the items in the backpack, but let's leave them there at the throne room, at the feet of our Lord, and not pick them back up. Let's pray. Friend, I don't know your situation. I don't know what is in your backpack, but in the quietness of a moment before God, in the presence of the God who's near, would you just take a moment, and whatever those burdens are that you brought in today, would you just quietly to yourself and the Lord, just name what they are. Just call them by name. These are the burdens today. I'll give you a moment to do that.
I don't know what, what it is that steals your peace. But I encourage you this morning to take time to draw near to God in worship. We're going to do a closing song and I would like to invite the prayer ministry team members to come forward at this time. If you're on the prayer team, would you come forward at this time? Just kind of line up here in the front. And then as the song is playing, I want to give you the opportunity to come to the altar and kind of symbolically lay your backpack down. I know you don't have a backpack, but just symbolically come forward. And there'll be a team members up front to pray with you. And I just encourage you to come forward and just name a few items. Let someone pray with you and join in your scenario. Let's not be too proud to, to not name those things that burden us. Let's put on joy. Let's lean forward in joy. And let us not be anxious, people. But let us pray about everything. So as this song closes our time together, would you please just come as you're free and able and willing, would you just come and meet with one of the prayer team members? Father, we just give this moment now to you. Please hear the burden and the cry of every heart in the room and minister to them today and give us your peace in your name. Would you come if you're ready?